the wonderful Billy Flynn. And podcasting's Rich Siegfried. And Flynn Stress from GeekRadioDaily.com. And we want to welcome you to the Time Shifters podcast. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. Your hosts, the handsome and incredibly talented Christopher and Matt would love to hear from you. There are several ways to get in touch with them. You can look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook. Follow the two on Twitter. Christopher is at Time Shifters Pod. And Matt is at Movies at the Mat. That's with two T's. Or you can send them a typed or recorded message to Podcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Nokia phones, most teletypes, and messenger pigeons. Be nice. Toss them a rate and review at any of those outlets. Now, from the Time Shifters studio... Here are Christopher and Matt. All right, hey everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. As you can tell already, we are in an open mic, which means we have guests in the studio. Returning, Sarah here was on our book to film uh, discussion yep. quite a long time ago. I think in our Matt and I's first year of podcasting, maybe. It's I think been, we were in the second. It wasn't in the second year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was definitely at least a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So welcome back. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. Does this make her our first returning guest? <gasps> yeah, I think it is. Awesome. Hey. Yeah. Getting an award. <laughs> <laughs> and coming in over the phone lines from the far uh, Canada adjacent Minnesota <laughs> is, is Ruby Gallinati. Hello, Ruby. Nice to talk Hello. to you. Hi, friends. It's been a very long time. It nice has been a long time. Nice to see you. Oh, it's been a long time since I've had a chance to talk to you. It's it's fantastic to get a chance to do it again. Welcome to Time yeah. Shifters. Oh yay! I listen. I listen frequently, so it's nice to it's nice to find something that I can talk to you guys about. Excellent. Yeah, and I think we're going to have a fun discussion here in a little bit too. I, well, I think the whole discussion is going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into that, though, I think we need to uh, you need to tell people about yourself and what you are very involved in up there in Minnesota. Indeed. Um, so my name is Ruby, and I live in Minnesota, and I came from all over, which is sort of unimportant, but um, anyone who listens to things may recognize the Mimiverse. Uh, it is a series of films by Christopher Mim. Uh, he is one of my oldest friends here in Minnesota. I knew him when he was a musician, before he was a, a filmmaker, but um, we are... Uh, me and my husband Hater are involved in the movies. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily peripherally, but the uh, the input that we have uh, is uh, on the tech side. Uh, I do lights infrequently, and um, we we host the Memiverse Bim. Um, um, uh, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> the Memiverse Bonfire Podcast. Um, we all used to just sit around the fire and talk about stuff and junk, and that was the way we had fun and then we thought well this is awfully fun maybe we should record some of these random talks and p.s we're big fans of these movies and uh who doesn't want to know more about the movies we have this inroad knowing chris we can have guests and we can talk and talk and talk and we have done 77 official episodes plus a couple of uh, bonus episodes. Um, we're in a break right now uh, in the, in the friends sense, I guess uh, we can, we can do other projects. Uh, Hater's a drummer and his band is uh, 
popular. (laughs) (laughs) Between Chris making two movies in one year and Mark playing every single Friday, every single Saturday, and sometimes uh, in the middle of the week, it uh, becomes difficult to podcast. You guys have taken pauses before. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm always looking for that, uh, just anybody I know to like, hey, you want to talk about something and just record it and kind of like have it and just have it in the bank just for those times where something happens, the weather turns to just terrible, you know, we can't get together. Uh, vacations. Vacations, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's nice to bank sometimes. But... Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, I know Matt and Sarah aren't as familiar with uh, Christopher R. Mim films. They're his films that he does, and he does them sort of in an homage of the 1950s monster films. Nice. So he's got a lot of fun, uh, uh, just takes on everything. Uh, my Still my personal favorite, although he's done. How many is he up to now? Um, I believe technically we're at 13. 13? Okay. That's impressive. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, he does one about one a year. Wow. And he uses just uh, local talent, friends and family, uh, local talent actors and stuff. He gets together to do these films. And his first film is, as much as I like some of his other films, like The Giant Spider's a lot of fun. Danny Johnson saves the saves the wor- the world. Is it Danny Johnson saves the world? It is. Yes, yeah, it's behind me somewhere. Uh, my favorite is still Monster from Phantom Lake, which was his premiere film. I just don't know I what can't. it is about that movie. I just uh, don't adore it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, that that's the kitchen sink movie. He uh, he jokes yeah. that he makes new, old, good, bad movies, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, yes. his fan base is rabid, uh, myself included. Um, at the 10 year anniversary of monster of phantom Lake, we did a musical for crying out loud. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's, that's how crazy we are. But yeah, I think, um, queen of snakes is the 14th movie. And that one has a premiere event, I believe in about a month. I was going to say it's in April, person. isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Thank you for the, uh, big quality check. Yes. <laughs> and then he's already in pre pre-production for that, which lurks in the dark. So Look, I if love you like that 50s title. movies, Take a trip over to SaintEuphoria.com, spell it out, and um, yeah, visit, visit, or check on Amazon Prime. I believe they're all still up there. They're yes, they kind are. Of about the independence, but yeah, I'm curious. It'd be actually something curious. I've been, it, there's films that have been on the list of things I would like us to watch, but I'm curious to see what you think of them because you don't have the history with the fifth, the, the fifties films. Right. You know, you don't have these monster films or these horror films from the fifties, kind of like in your wheelhouse. So I'd be It'd be interesting to see what you thought of the of his stuff. I have a question looking at the poster for the monster of Phantom Lake. Does the monster actually have goofy googly eyes like yes. that? Okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't actually Google like Cookie Monster, but yes, they are exactly what you think they are. They're yes. uh, handmade, delightful googly eyes. Yep. I like it already. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're okay to laugh at. They're supposed to be a little bit funny and uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're they're a little slower than modern movies, but at the same time, they're they're pretty well done. Yep, kitschy. There's a lot of kitsch to them. Mm-hmm. Would be a word I would use to describe them. But they are. It is fun. Yeah, he's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying no. to like use a colander for an eye and then claim it's a uh, rosebud the sled or something. I know it's. <laughs> it is absolutely a painted colander. Yes, <laughs> that is the monster's eye. I just added the Monster Phantom Lake to my watch list, so yeah, maybe good. we can do that next. Yeah, that, that would be a great. lot of fun. That sounds fantastic. I would, I'd really enjoy that. 
And uh, I'll give me an excuse to watch it again, and then I'll, I'll finally throw in the uh, DVD of the musical that I have. I haven't, <laughs> I, I bought it, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I have oh! listened. I've listened to the CD. I love the soundtrack. I love the CD. It's good. Yes. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, Mr. Mim, there is. It, it, I am a fan of his films, and I buy as much of, if not everything, that he comes up with. Sometimes it's just a matter of I just don't have that money for that special something that he does because he he'll do special things. He'll do uh, uh, commemorative sort of uh, cards or uh, some other promotional items and stuff on, and, and themes. And sometimes it's just I just don't have that extra cash to get everything. <laughs> but when it comes yep. to the film, I I always uh, contribute when he starts doing his kick, you know, his uh, his fundraisers and stuff. So. Uh, every time, uh, I I just I love what he does. does. Does your son need four years of college? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just dive into that fun. Exactly. I'll get all this stuff aftermarket after he's all famous <laughs> and uh, start scrounging eBay and stuff like that. Yep. Or wait until the uh, the the basement gets cleaned again and he finds some good <laughs> stuff and puts it up at twice the original cost. That, there you go. <laughs> That's that's what's going to actually finally get me to drive up there to see you guys is a Mimiverse garage sale. Oh, look out! <laughs> look out! I'm gonna I'm gonna start working on Chris. Then you look out. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Ruby. We got some news stories we want to talk about here before we get into our main topic. The big one is one that came up just a couple weeks ago. The Academy Awards was just a couple weeks ago at the time of this recording. Uh, shortly thereafter, Steven Spielberg made a statement concerning the film Roma, which was a Netflix original that was nominated for Best Picture. It didn't win, but it was nominated. And he apparently, and this really disappointed me about Spielberg, he didn't feel that it should be eligible for an Oscar because it was a Netflix original. He feels that these Netflix originals, or, and I'm guessing in connection, it would also be Hulu or Amazon, any of these streaming services, when they do an original film, he thinks they should maybe just be considered TV movies and not be concerned for the Academy Award for an Oscar. I was going to say, because the Emmy is actually uh, given out by the Academy as well, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. You don't I know? It, I think, I think it there's is. a television Academy, but on the mm, Okay. I, I thought they were somehow connected. Anyway, point being, this really disappointed me coming from Steven Spielberg, who I always thought was a fan of the art form and i thought he would be more supportive of regardless of where the film was seen the film being made and and then it kind of retroactively made me upset that we have we have ever kind of made this break of saying oh that's a tv movie it doesn't count that's a cinema movie that counts like well wait a minute they all have directors. They all have scripts. They all have cinematographers. They all have uh, lighting. They all have actors. Why are we saying one is less than another? They're the same product. Why does where you watch it make any difference whatsoever? Why would that discount it from being uh, eligible for an award that is supposed to be acknowledging brilliance in your field? And that's exactly what everybody else is saying yes i think it's a perfectly valid argument i think it's the argument and the problem is is you know everyone's going oh the few people who are trying to like either play devil's advocate or defend spielberg are saying well you know why wasn't roma shown in theaters like other movies and people are coming back saying 
They wanted to. They tried. They shopped this movie around to every major studio and everyone but Netflix passed because it's not falling in line with what studios are trying to put out there. And I think I think it finally did, I think, show for like three weeks in some theater. Right. And what really annoyed me, what really got me, is he was saying that because that, that's not enough. I'm like, well, wait a minute. How many times have I seen the Academy Award nominations and the whole list of films for Best Picture? And it's like, I haven't even heard of half of these right. films. And the reason I didn't hear about them is because they were small films. They played in a few theaters, probably in New York and L.A., maybe Chicago. They weren't all over the country. They didn't right. hit all the big multiplexes. So why are they eligible? Just because they weren't made by Netflix? Right. And that's actually the only criteria for being nominated to play a week in New York and L.A. That's it. Which yeah. this did. So what's the problem, Stephen? <laughs> yeah. And so I think this really kind of raised a big question. And it kind of suddenly it has me looking back and going, wait a minute. We've been doing this wrong the whole time. I mean, and, I, and I'm actually kind of disgusted that we've been doing this wrong the whole time. Uh, we've always kind of, oh, it's on TV, so it's like less than what is in the cinema. Like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. That mm -hmm. never made sense. I can't believe I never realized how little sense that made. And then, Stephen, what was your first movie? It was Duel, which was a TV <laughs> oh, movie. Right. So maybe... Zip it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It just, it really annoyed me that he, that he came out like this against this film for these reasons. It just, I find it petty. It makes him feel like he's, it's, it makes him sound like he's concerned about extra, uh, um, competition yeah. or something. And, uh, I, I, it's unfortunate. I just, it really kind of, it, it upset me. It made me mad and maybe very disappointed in Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And it's putting him in a really negative light right now to the point where people are like looking back at his films and they're pointing out like, you kind of work with the same few people. You don't work with diversity that much. And it's like, wow, there's a lot of negative press going on Steven Spielberg right now that he did not have to do. <laughs> like yeah. he, he brought this on himself and now like his camp has come out and said, oh, he was, you know, misquoted or it's being taken out of context. You know, it's the usual cliches of trying to like backpedal. Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, what's done is done. And, you know, cinema's changing and it yeah. should change. It needs to change. Because like you said, you know, there are so many movies out there that you never heard of. But with streaming services, those can reach a wider audience that they never would have reached before. It particularly annoys me that he he sits there. His big argument, the big argument, is because you watch it on television, it's not the same experience. It's like, well, most of these Academy voters who are voting for these films are watching it at home on their televisions, yeah. thanks to DVDs and Blu-rays provided to them by the Academy. So that doesn't hold water. And we've already discussed how fickle some of the Academy voters can be because. Oh, that's an animated, that's a cartoon, I don't watch it. Mm. So there's got to be ones out there, too, that are going, oh, a horror film, Phew, I don't watch those. Uh, and so, oh, the, the, oh, this one, it's, it's a musical? I love musicals. I'm voting for I'm going to watch that, and I'm going to vote for it. And they're right. like, well, wait, did you watch these, you know, the two horror films and the superhero film and the animated feature that was up? Oh, no, those aren't, those aren't real movies. You lose your vote. <laughs> like, if you don't watch them all, how can you vote? It's yeah. ridiculous. So it, it it's really shines a light on how... Dumb of an idea, maybe the Oscars are. I mean, I've always thought that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He didn't do anybody, he certainly didn't do himself favors. He, I don't think he did the Academy any favors. And yeah, I think maybe 
hopefully this will be kind of like a watershed moment where things start changing and, you know, entertainment is changing. The cinema, the view, movie watching experience is changing and the awards and now everything is all going to have to change with it now. And now it's, that shined a really big light on that fact. Yeah. So my rant's over on that. So <laughs> I just, I had to bring it up. I had to mention it. There's only so much you can say on Facebook or in uh, 240 characters or something on Twitter. So, so any other news, anything else that's been going on? Matt? To, to me, the other big piece of news is um, Rotten Tomatoes decided to remove the audience scores pro- before a film is released because the last Jedi and a few other movies and most recently Captain Marvel were getting review negative bombed by people who just wanted to hate on the movie. Yes. And so they decided to come out and say audience scores are, are now banned if a movie has not yet been released. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good start. I think you should take the audience score out entirely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is a good, it's a, it is a good start. Um, and the, you know, I, I don't know if we talked at all about, the Captain Marvel Brie Larson stuff on the show or not. Um, the whole reason behind, you know, the bombing of the uh, Rotten Tomato scores and everything is absolutely ridiculous. It's the biggest made up uh, controversy that I've seen in a long time, certainly wrapped around a movie. And it's, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm waiting for everyone to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I keep waiting. <laughs> It's a bit sad. Have we talked about that we, at all? We haven't. So this is back in June, and it didn't even yeah. come to light until about a month ago. But back in June, she was doing a, a press tour for the movie, uh, or maybe for something else. And this and Captain Marvel came up. I think she was just a, at an award. She was something. just yeah. She was just taking questions after winning some some award, like a Golden Globe sort of thing. Or, yeah. You know. So and she made a comment about how she would like to see the critic pool expanded. How she would like to see you know, more people of color and more women um, be critics because most critics are white men. Mm -hmm. And that limits the point of view of looking at a movie and looking at a narrative and looking at a character. If your point of view is one thing, you're not necessarily going to relate to this other thing. And that's all she said. And then everybody purposefully skewed it to say, oh, she hates white men and she doesn't want them to have jobs. And she specifically said, widen the pool. Yes. Well, the comment everyone focused on, she mentioned about um, uh, A Wrinkle in Time. Mm -hmm. And was saying that, you know, she doesn't want to hear about about what a dozen white white men thought about A Wrinkle in Time. She said that film wasn't made for you. That's what she said. You know, it w- she wanted to hear what young women and young women of color had to think of it because that was kind of what the aim- the film was was aimed at, and everyone took that as her saying she doesn't want men to come to her film. She hates men. She hates yeah. white men, and it's ridiculous. Everyone, and then they take it and they take this inference, which is all it is, and they turn it into fact, and that's how they that's how that's their arguments. You go yep. you go through Reddit's, the Twitters, the Facebooks. That's people's arguments. And it's like, wow, she didn't say that. I, I've, I've actually said, would you please go and get me? Well, oh, there's a video. No, 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 no. I don't want to watch the video. I want you to write down the quote that right. says that she said that. And that's usually where the conversation stops. Right. Because <laughs> they just they just disappear. Right. Uh, and it's, it is incredibly frustrating and, and very annoying for something like this. 
wasn't she going to be the director for a superhero type movie too and passed on it so she could work on A Wrinkle in Time? Brie Larson? I don't oh, no, think so. Yeah, Ava um, DuVernay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, Ava DuVernay? Okay. Um, yeah, she was. I think she was originally going to direct Black Panther. That sounds right. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't think it was anything. Um, I think she just didn't want to work with Marvel or something. I don't remember all It was the a details. personal choice on her, right. yeah. Because she did um, go on to work with Disney because mm-hmm. Wrinkle in Time is a Disney movie. Yeah. So yeah, it was just a comment that Brie made, you know, in passing, and it was a, it's a valid argument. I mean, for a, a woman in the business who suddenly wants more women in the business, I think it's, you know, a, that would be a, a fine thing. That's a great thing. I I agree with her, but to have her con- her comments taken out of the context that they have been, and then you know, trying to destroy her film or trying to destroy her work because of it is just. Yeah. That's lame. <laughs> lame and, and petty beyond belief. The best part is, though, is I think she was prepared for this because she's still going forward. She hasn't backpedaled on her comments. She hasn't really even commented on her comments when well, people ask. She's still just, she's posting on Twitter. She's posting on her Instagram. She's smiling all the time. She's posing with fans. It's like, I almost feel like she knew this was going to happen. It was going to get people talking. She didn't care if it was going to be negative because she knew it was going to be from a group of people she didn't care about. Yeah. And so she's, I'm just sort of like, she's badass. I love her. <laughs> and I think she's, she is talented and I think she has a fantastic career, you know, already. And I think she's got a fantastic career ahead of her. Yep. You know, whether she continues to do superhero movies or Kong Island mm-hmm. 2 or whatever, I, I think she's going to go on and do fantastic things. And yeah, I absolutely support her. So is that all the big news? I was, that's, that's all I got. The, all right, politically charged news to this, this, <laughs> this week. I like this episode. So we're going to take a short break here, and when we get back, we are going to talk about monkeys and head. What the hell is this, the wonderful Billy Flynn? Just some podcast that's supposed to be geeky, Podcasting's Rich Sigfrid. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. Screw that noise. I'm not going to try it. Hey, Flinstress, let's get Mikey. Do you mean critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason, who hosts the Beer Power Time Machine podcast? Yeah, but he won't listen. He hates everything. Hi, I'm critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason. I don't often listen to podcasts, but when I do, make mine Geek Radio Daily. Hey, hey, hey man, that's a different promo. Between love and madness lies Geek Radio Daily. That's kind of accurate. There are some things money can't buy. GRD is free online. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Geek Radio Daily. Eh, we'll take it. Geek Radio Daily. All the geek without the weight. GeekRadioDaily.com all right, welcome back, everybody. All right, the monkeys. This was kind of fun. I haven't watched any monkeys in a long time. Uh, I watched the series when I was younger because it was just one of those things that was, you know, uh, it was on in the afternoon on, you know, like our local channel 19, the UHF channel would always carry them. 
And so I got a chance to, this gave me a great excuse to go up and dig up some old monkeys episodes. And I've never seen the movie head and I've always heard about it. I heard it was something. So it was a good time to, uh, finally, uh, watch that as well. Now we've got a couple big monkeys fans here. Sarah is a huge fan. Yes. Ruby's a big fan. Yes. Matt is tangentially a big fan, thanks to Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit of the monkeys. I was talking a couple weeks ago, and I was saying that, you know, they were studio-created. They were corporate-created band. And I wondered whether they were the first. Does anyone know if they were the first, or had that kind of been done in the past? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I suspect they were probably the first that were made for, you know, for for television. Sure. But I doubt that they were the first ones who were put together for consumption. I mean, look at Menudo. They've been around. (laughs) That's true. Definitely not 50 years, but I'm just saying, you know, there's histories of people saying, I want to make a girl group, and they're going to be, insert thing here, and then you cast for it, and put out a couple albums and hopefully have a bit of fun but yeah the all the pushback on the monkeys was because they were a fake band back in the day and so i feel like they're probably the first one because of television that um it was out oh gosh you created a band mm-hmm. were they um when they when they first when the series first premiered you know were they promoted as being an actual band or was it never hidden that the studio kind of created them as far as in the the, the news or in the reporting you know TV guide or whatever there was kind of I believe it was a television show first and so no one really questioned it and then shortly after them uh, recording then they made albums to sell gotcha so. I mean, you could just—it's it, a television show. Okay, I have to. I'm coming at it from my own point of view, which when I was watching it, it was ten years after the show had premiered. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was too. familiar with the music before I was probably familiar even with the show. So it, it's hard to kind of keep that, get the timeline in my own head, I suppose. And I was reading last night that. I think it was the first album that came out. Mike Nesmith was very upset because a lot of the original musicians were not credited. Like they were trying to put this album out. They weren't trying to promote it as a band, but like when you looked at like finer print on the album, it didn't say music by any of these other people. And he was mad that these other musicians, cause he's a musician, they weren't getting credited. And he's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. This isn't a real band. We're just the front. Yeah. Right. And so that kind of like got the ball rolling, which got like a couple of people kicked off. And then that's actually what helped them start to work on their own music themselves. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you're right. The story goes that, you know, uh, Peter and Mike showed up with their instruments and they were told, no, no, you guys are just singing. And the other boys were like, oh, okay, yeah, the, well, we're the performers. And then Mike got mad because the Wrecking Crew wasn't credited and they weren't playing on their own and, and, and. I think you're right. I sent you five episodes to watch. Yes, you did. You sent me links to five episodes. Apparently, a lot of the series is on YouTube. Whether it should be or not, I don't know. But <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But it was there and they're actually pretty good quality, uh, too. I was surprised. Yeah. So, yeah, you did send me five links that you and Sarah just decided were like the quintessential monkeys. Kind no, of, 
I wouldn't say quintessential. I would say these were like because we rewatched them last night, and then when we were done, I, I was like, we picked five good ones. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I watched five? which five I want to hear. So yeah. we picked the Frodis Caper, which I think is okay. the must episode to watch. Interesting. Which was also the last episode that aired. Interesting. That makes um, sense. I've watched these really kind of in goofy order. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Here come here comes the monkeys, which was as I understand it was like their broadcast premiere. That, well, that was their their pilot. The, okay, the, so it was first in the production order, but it aired as the tenth episode. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the devil and Peter Torque. The monkeys. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> we had to throw that in in after the after. recent passing of Peter Torque. Yeah. Plus, it's a good episode. Yeah, which is what kind of very much inspired this entire episode of Time Shifters. So. The monkeys paw, and the monkeys get out more dirt. Yeah, we picked that one mostly because of Julie Newmar. <laughs> yes, Julie Newmar was in that one. I actually had an issue with that one trying to watch it, though. The audio was uh, goobered when I was trying to watch oh, it. Wow. Halfway through, suddenly the audio went back to the beginning of the episode. So the, oh, epi- the visual kept going, but the audio started over. So I wasn't able to finish that one. Oh, Aww. bummer. Yes. Uh, but the other four, yeah, the one that you said ended up being the last episode that aired, the Frobus experiment. After watching Head, it all makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> <laughs> and the the Frodus caper was written and directed by Mickey Dolenz. Interesting. Which that shows. His, yes. That was his directorial debut. Gotcha. That episode was the first one I watched. It was the top of your list. It was, a, it was just, I don't know if you put it in any order or not, but that was the first link. So I clicked on that one. That's the one I watched first. That one, I almost felt like there really was no script. <laughs> everyone <laughs> just, ad, everyone just sort of showed up and ad-libbed whatever was going on. Maybe the, uh, the villain had a script, but the monkeys, yeah, just say whatever comes to your mind. The villain being Rip Taylor. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had forgotten that was Rip Taylor, too. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, the ones I really enjoyed, uh, The Devil and Peter Tork, uh, I thought was really good. Yeah. Uh, that was a, just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Monkey's Paw I got a big kick out of. Well, Crayon, I can say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what was the, the, the next one after that? There was Here Come the Monkeys. Here Come the Monkeys. Here Come the, the Monkeys. monkeys. Which, it tell, was fine. It was fine. You can tell it was a, the pilot because the, the set looks a little different. And it did a good job, I thought, of establishing their roles early on. Uh, their characteristics. Like Davy's the heartthrob. Right. He's kind of the leader. And Peter's a dummy. <laughs> he's like the, the, the crazy, goofy one. Yeah, most of them... It was just like I remember. There was like this loose through story, and then in between there was like the weird skits or something like that. It was almost uh, it reminded me of like uh, the modern equivalent would be like almost like a Family Guy episode, yeah. where you have like this loose script, and then someone would say something, and then you get some little tangent tangent scene with music with music <laughs> except this time yeah with maybe with music or something. Or like sometimes that. there wouldn't even be music. Like there was the one clip from the. That one scene in um, Here Come the Monkeys where the dad of the girl is looking for them and they're just off to the side playing cards like the Old West because yeah. why not? Sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, that has nothing to do with anything. Yes. 
but no, the, the episodes that I watched were a lot of fun, and it was just just how I remembered. Uh, I was a little taken aback because the first one I watched was the uh, the Frobish, and the it first. was like it was just frenetic, just weird things here, things there, and like nothing really made that much sense. I'm like, this isn't what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but the other ones um, absolutely were much more to my to my memory. It was fun watching it, and it's fun watching the the characters and you know the actors, and um, yeah, it's just. I think you mentioned it before that Peter Tork, uh, when we talked about him last time, you felt that he was like probably one of the more talented actors in the, the most. Group. I think overall the most creative. I think he's the most fun to watch. I just really enjoyed watching Peter in almost all of the episodes, whether they worked around him, whether they were about him or not. It's kind of like, you're the one that I like to watch. <laughs> Everybody's got a favorite monkey. Yeah. Which is interesting because Peter was more of a musician. Yeah. Um, and he didn't really have acting experience, but he, you're right. His, he had great facial expressions. Yes. And, and maybe that's it. Maybe just there's a sort of more of a realism about that, about him, you know, in certain, certainly in some of these situations or whatever. And maybe that was, just because he was more of the real person than anyone else. And he had been, Peter had been a friend of um, Stephen Stills and Stephen Stills had auditioned for the monkeys. And they asked him, um, they said, well, you're good, but uh, it wasn't his teeth really right. crooked and messed up. They just didn't so, think it wasn't good for the, the, the image as far as being exactly. a pretty boy band, which things worked out for him anyway. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I think he said something like, well, I have a friend who's um, better looking, <laughs> something like that. And that's how Peter came in. Yeah, but uh, so it's definitely a fun series. Um, I guess all of us kind of came to them probably the same way, just because they were rerun to fill time on, you know, our local stations or whatever. Uh, Ruby, was that the same the case with you? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm definitely... The Monkees fans always talk about what generation are you as if it's important. But um, I don't think any, was, any, any of us were alive in the 60s. So um, by default, I'm one and a half. I'm generation one and a half because I'm the first in my family. But at the same time, uh, I did see them, you know, on, on network television. They were played on WGN in Chicago at, uh, if I remember correctly, four o'clock in the morning. That was right about when I was ready to go to sleep. Wow. <laughs> but they came about at the same time as the television series. And indeed, I mean, we all, we all watched it cause it was fun and that's what, you know, it's, it's kind of made for kids. It's fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of one but of these. Then, then oh. you get into it when you're older and you realize, well, there's a lot more going on here and actually yep. the, the music is quite good. Yeah. And I was, yeah. that's what I was just going to say. There's almost kind of like a Looney Tune quality about it that yes, it's yes. aimed at children, but the adults for the adults watching there are a lot of you know innuendos and uh and commentary that uh, that would go right over a kid's head that the that the parents would definitely pick up and and notice exactly. yeah oh no niles they got you too i'm always like this man <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my most favorite lines i wonder actually how many parents did watch it with their children though because um there's there's a podcast that is for the monkeys called Zilch, and I recommend oh, yes. anyone who, who likes to that show. 
it's so good. I mean, anyone who likes the monkeys, please just listen to Zilch Catch Up. They're really uh, pretty, pretty in depth. But they also mentioned that um, this is the first television show where there was teenagers with no actual adult humans. Oh, they good don't point. have a, they don't have a wrangler. They don't have parents. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. there was Partridge Family. They had parents, right? You know, and that sure, was a there was bit later too. Exactly. I mean, any any number of television shows where there's teens running amok, there's no there's no adults. And so, you know, I wonder how many parents caught that. I wonder how many parents sat with their children, or if they was like, oh, you know, it's it's it's. It's fine. It's TV. Let's just w- let the kids watch. We'll go downstairs and, you know, play cards, smoke cigarettes, and <laughs> yeah. drink booze. That's what the parents were doing, you know, parent stuff. It never even occurred to me because I was so young when I was watching them that they all seemed like adults to me. Yeah. So it wasn't even anything that really even clicked in my head. I was actually surprised oh. that Peter Tork was the oldest at 23. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're a struggling band and they're just trying to make rent every month. I mean, yes. if you watch a bunch of the episodes, those boys don't have any money at all. No. no. Yeah, well, I think there was a great line in one of them about um, something. The about the, But they were they were musicians or something, and um, some, some someone said something about money. Like, well, I didn't say we got paid. I just said we were musicians. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in the pilot, um, very briefly, I mean, if you're not paying attention, you could miss it. Like, they did sort of have a manager guy. Yes. Um, mm. He was and, pretty crap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess they, they realized oh, we don't need this character. And he just got dumped because yeah. they didn't need him. Yeah, it's more fun. It's just them, just these four guys that lived in an awesome house. I know. I, when I was Jerks. a kid and I watched that show, I, I wanted to live in that house. Yeah. You still want to live I in that house. I would absolutely. I was just thinking that, man, if that's one of those things that if you had a million dollars, like I'd build myself a monkey's house. <laughs> Well, and just for any super nerd fans who are out there listening, uh, please help help me research this. I swear, I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't do you know all the stuff that people do. But the Two and a Half Men house, I swear to God, has the same layout as Monkey's house. Someone help me help me prove this or disprove this. <laughs> I, I haven't really seen that show. I, I can kind of. I mean, I've seen clips here and there. I can kind of picture it. Um, I don't it's know. the door. The door just strikes mm-hmm. me. I only watched like six episodes because it was John Cryer, and that was pretty awesome. Uh, maybe it may be a Sorry little bit sidebar. Let's return. Yeah, it, <laughs> it may be a similar layout. Yeah, where the door comes in, and then the the, the stairs go up, and then over the door. So yeah, it, I can see where the 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 layout certainly is very similar. Although I think the the monkey's uh, kitchenette or whatever was like in the back. I don't think. Uh, I think in two and a half uh, minutes, all the way off to the room. side. It's a separate room. That's another okay. podcast. Yeah, we'll, then, we'll, we'll do a whole show about uh, sitcom layouts. Yeah. <laughs> I have to mention this because it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen put to film. It's in the monkey's paw. Uh-oh. <laughs> Mickey's off to the side. He can't talk. And so the other three are trying to figure out what to do. And then that's when they're like, oh, he forgot how to talk. We just have to teach him how to talk. And they're leaning up against... The statue of the Native American Indian. How? How? <laughs> Davy, like you can see the moment where that joke hits Davy Jones because he starts laughing before he delivers his line and then sticks his hand up and he goes, How? And the other two are just looking at him like, What did you just do? I, and they I, left I, it in and then they I, cut. Yeah, that's the you, first thing I thought of is like, That wasn't in the script. No. <laughs> and you can tell, especially we have the Blu ray. 
Davy looks a little red around the eyes. <laughs> so, He's a little embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and I, I was also implying that he may be a little bit um, high. High. Yeah. <laughs> what? Whoa! Wait a minute. Are you saying there may have been drugs involved in this? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> There's another episode that uh, we didn't link to you where three of the characters walk onto the scene, but all four are supposed to walk on. And then it's like a minute into the scene, and then that's when Mickey Dolans walks on with the most glazed over look on his face. <laughs> and it's just sort of like, he missed his mark. He was doing something else. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the car racing episode. Yeah. Which, that was actually the last episode filmed, and it shows. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> they did not they, care anymore. <laughs> yeah, let it let it all be said that these, these boys were run and run and run and run and run. And they were kept under strict lock and key. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there were some green cigarettes being smoked just to keep their own sanity. I read that... Um... There's a they the, the the giant box that shows up in the film head, which we're going to get to here real soon. Apparently, that box was actually created. They built that to rein the guys in because they would kept yes. wandering off during this yep. the 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 series filming. They'd wander off and get lost on the studio set, and they'd have to go and try to find them. So they would kind of just had this box for them to go in that they would hang out and work on whatever their music or whatever it is they did. <laughs> and there were four different lights in the room and each one of them had a light assigned. And if your light came on, that means they need you, were... you on set. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's almost kind of um, disturbing how, how, how they were treated as like the property, I guess, yeah. of the studio. And it's something that I think it wouldn't, we might as well kind of start working into it and start talking about the film head. They were very aware of, and yeah. uh, I think the movie head was kind of their way of probably just processing the whole thing, processing and letting people know, like, we know, you yeah. know, that we know that that's what's been going on. We're not oblivious. Uh, it was a um, this was the first time watch for me. Uh, it was a movie, like I said, I had heard about never, never dug it up, never bothered to try to watch it. Uh, it was an experience to say the least. <laughs> I, I think very random. It very random. It is. I think there are some hits and there are some misses within the film. Sure. I mean, there's definitely some moments where I thought, okay, that's good. There's maybe it's just because those were the messages that I actually got, and maybe the ones I just went out went by me are the ones that I'm sitting here thinking that wasn't very good. But maybe I just didn't get that message. <laughs> sure. So. Overall, liked, didn't like, uh, positive, negative, somewhere in between. Yeah, it's kind of like I was saying. There are moments that I really liked, but overall, I, I don't know if I'd go back to it. It's not a film that I feel like I need to like keep watching. I'll probably end up watching it. My wife was really curious to watch it and didn't get a chance, so we'll probably sit down and watch it again. Although I, after I tell her like. It is not like the show. No. <laughs> and it, it, I'll show her the Frobus experiment. Like it's like this a little bit. <laughs> and well, it, exactly, it was very clever of you two to give him five episodes to begin with, just to remind him what the show is about. Because mm -hmm. the show's very random, and yep. the movie's extra random. Yes, right. Because at least the show has some semblance of structure. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. But the movie is... has none. <laughs> I feel like it I... does when you learn Living. their history. I yeah. feel I feel like if you were to go back and like watch more of the show and listen to more of the music and learn and read more about them, you go back and then you watch the movie and you're like, it's making more sense. Yeah, that's the impression that I was getting is that maybe this film is truly for the people that knew them best or or have researched their real stories uh, versus someone like me that really only knows them on the surface. Yeah. Knows them for a few songs, you know, probably for more of their more popular songs, not even some of the more better songs just the popular songs and then the tv show that's where the movie maybe falls down for me and the movie did bomb quite spectacularly <laughs> i heard now. that I, I i think i read it right. made like ten thousand dollars or something <laughs> well why in the world would adults want to go see a movie that's about a television show for their children and if you bring your children why in the world would you latch on with this thing i mean it is it is not the television show. It's it's very random. The the back of the DVD even says a hard day's night on acid. That's yeah. the outrageous <laughs> movie. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mean, even I actually sat there and thought, you know, this really isn't a monkeys movie. It just no. happens to have the guys that were in the monkeys. But it has nothing to do with the monkeys. Um there are obviously some tunes sung, but it's not really a monkeys movie. And I don't think it would, they didn't even really market it as such, did they? No, they actually tried to like keep that under wraps because of what Ruby was saying. It was like they were trying to bring in an adult audience knowing that the monkeys would have repelled that. Right. And there was definitely some stuff, although this film, because of the time it was made, it gets a G rating. Probably would not get that G rating today. No, because <laughs> right near the beginning, um, you know, when they're doing... Um, that um, well, the name of the song is the Diddy Diego War Chant, mm -hmm. which is um, kind of a uh, I don't know. Kind of summarizes the movie. Well, it summarizes the movie, but it takes the the theme song and it gives it new lyrics that right, yep. are talking about how they're manufactured and and, and that we know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that that to that ends, we can't agree, or we both agree. But right. it ends with um, uh, a. A guy whose um, part uh, his name was uh, Bay Lop, or that's his was his code name, I believe. Um, he was in the Viet Cong, and it shows him getting shot in the head. Mm -hmm. wait, wait, what? Yeah, it's a very famous <laughs> yes. uh, uh, historical clip. Mm -hmm. uh, like they just threw that in there, and oh, I don't think we mentioned and it's, yet. It's in during Circle Sky too. Yes, it is. Yeah, they and they reuse they use a lot of Vietnam footage. Mm -hmm. Um. But we haven't said yet who um, worked on this movie. No, it was yeah, we haven't mentioned. by Bob Rafelson, <laughs> who was one of the co-creators of the show, um, with uh, Bert Schneider, I believe. Um, and it was co-written. At the time. Well, and by, directed. Yeah, and directed by Bob Rafelson. But at the time, a an up-and-coming writer by the name of Jack Nicholson. Jack yes. Nicholson. This was late 60s Jack Nicholson. This was like uh Roger Corman Jack Nicholson. He was doing <laughs> okay. a, he was doing a lot of work with the with Roger Corman and, uh, and this is during the Roger Corman uh kind of Poe series of films. Uh Jack Nicholson appeared in several of those. Who did the who did the original Little Shop of Horrors? Uh, that was that Jack was, was in it, but J uh, he was, I don't but think he did it. 
I know. I, he he played like the dentist or something. I right, just, yeah. I was just trying to remember who that was. It. Yeah, that, I think that was another Roger Corman. Okay, I was yeah, like, was it Corman? I, I believe so. Yeah, I just covered that film too. And I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I, I don't want to speak out of line, but I think it was directed by Corman. But I, I remember uh, years ago. I have the internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if only we Roger Corman, Charles B. Griffith. Okay. There you go. Thank you. My, unfortunately, my 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 phone is being used at the moment. I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's why I turned up the computer just in case. Just in case. <laughs> no, Research. but I remember a few years ago um, we were talking to Matt's mom about the monkeys and head and how it was written by Jack Nicholson, and she said it wasn't that Jack Nicholson. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Really, <laughs> you even see him on camera at one point. Yeah, he yes. does. Him, he does make a cameo there in the uh, in the cafe when yep. everyone's trying to get out. Yep, they break the fourth wall. Yep. And I believe, um, from what I remember, the story goes that the, so um, Bob Rafelson and um, Jack Nicholson have the screenwriting credits, but that all four of the guys also you know contributed ideas, and it was the six of them and. Uh, a bowl of um, something, something, something. Yeah. <laughs> sandwiches. Yes, yeah, sandwiches. <laughs> tea and sandwiches all around. So that's code for <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want it to be. Yeah, there was a couple of attempts at sort of anti-war messages within the yeah. film, and I actually feel like those are the ones that kind of failed the most for me. Um, mainly because so much of the rest of the film was a message about the, you know, the corporate this or the, uh, you know, and their their lives as being this manufactured and controlled and everything. And then all of a sudden there would be like this anti-war just kind of thrown in and like, well, that kind of came out of left field. And then it's abandoned. And then it's abandoned. And then it's left and then it comes back a little later. And uh, like, it just, whenever that would kind of jump in, it was sort of, not that you could really actually say I could was into the film, but that was kind of like every time that popped in, it would kind of take me out of it. <laughs> I think that's the one part where I would agree multiple rewatches help because Circle Sky is where is where the majority of the um, quote unquote modern war images are. And most of them happen when he's talking about things that are very innocuous. And so you know, he, he's talking about things smiling, smiling down is one of the lyrics. And there's a girl and she is not smiling, you mm-hmm. know, and there's there's war images when he's saying things, singing things that are seemingly very innocuous and absolutely contradict, 100 percent contradict. And they don't mean as much to us people from the 2000s, but it would have been super meaningful back in the 60s and it would have pulled people straight in. It's a very subversive song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in head it's very subversive. Outside it's a rocker, and I really love it. Right, but it's it's really it's really very gross. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate Mike. I'm I'm just going to credit him with saying this is what I want to do with this song because of the history of the monkeys. But I feel like he he said we need to we need to say this. We need to speak out. Yeah, and the, I mean the whole thing, the whole song is ended by you know women rushing the stage and pulling their bodies, mannequins, pulling their clothes apart, pulling their heads off. I mean, he's saying it's really sick to be, you know, an entertainer. It's really sick to be um, manufactured. It's really sick to be ignoring the war. It's really, it's a mess. The song is beautiful. Mm -hmm. That section of the movie is amazing to me. 
Yes. And I always, I also thought it was great that um, during that sequence, um, during uh, Circle Sky, that actually is the four of them playing um, the instruments there. Nice. Yeah, this is a film that, Maybe you're right. The multiple watches. It almost needs a, like a scene. You need to watch this scene by scene with a breakdown kind of thing. And notes. and and yeah, and notes and really actually listen to you know like a lot of. I'm sure many of the lyrics I don't pay that much attention to while watching the film. I'm I'm more focused on the imagery. And I right. And you're looking for a story which there isn't one. And yeah. they tell you that in so many. Words. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that's yeah, a good I'm, point. They I'm warn you. I'm so interested in what you're saying because clearly the the three of us have seen it, if not multiple times, bajillions of times. So <laughs> how nice to hear what you think. Yeah, it's, it it was an interesting, and, and you're right. I mean, they tell you right from the beginning that if you're looking for a story, you're there may be one. Uh, there there <laughs> might not. You know, I I I think they tell you that right from the right from the get go. And you're right. I was trying to like piece all this thing everything together. Uh, because this was the first time that I had watched it. And I think that's just a natural uh, reaction to anything. Uh, but you're right. This is maybe one where you have to actually study. This is a film that needs to be studied to really pull everything out of it that is that was meant to be there. Or let it go and just let it wash over you. I mean, right. I certainly was not trying to make heads and tails of this when I was 10, but I sure did enjoy it. <laughs> wow. 10 years old, huh? Uh, yeah. I, I get to watch whatever I want when I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but I mean, the thing to, to skip forward just a little bit in, in not having a story, the, the thing that I love about this movie so much, um, and in, in case any other Big Monkeys fans are wondering, uh, hi, I'm Ruby, I'm a Torky, and my favorite <laughs> album is Headquarters. This uh. is things we talk about. This tells you a lot about me. So um, the thing I love about this movie is that it starts, it, it's bookended. The beginning and the end are yeah. exactly identical, but just with a tiny little change. Mm-hmm. They go through and they tell you what they're going to do. Then, then in Diddy Diego that uh, Sarah was talking about earlier, it shows you clips from the movie. It shows you what it's going to show you. It gets to the middle of the movie. There's stuff going on. There's um, amazing people that you're like, oh, I know that guy or... I think I know that guy because my parents watched him. You get about to the middle of the movie and it flips and it goes backwards and it's just a little different. Mm-hmm. And then watching, watching what happens backwards after, um, mostly after Peter talks to the Maharaja, the master, mm-hmm. it all makes sense to Peter all of a sudden. He tries to help the other boys. They can't figure it out. And then you get back to the very, very other things happen. You see more exciting people. You get back to the end and the movie starts as it began, but you see why they were doing what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, 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 that's not what I saw at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It's not necessarily a story, but I, I have. I have probably watched this movie six bajillion times. <laughs> it was one of the first DVDs that I bought when I was in college, and it came out. And uh, like, I, it didn't even matter if I wasn't going to eat Sunday dinner for two weeks. Like, I had to own this movie because I'd seen it so infrequently at four o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> excuse me. And it means it means as much to me today as it ever as it ever did. It's it's sick and amazing and creative and weird and 
uh, great music. And yeah, there's parts that I tune out of too. But at the same time, like to me, it's a very cleverly put together movie. And I don't think they intended that either. I think they were sitting in their house, you know, for the weekend writing this script, um, eating a lot of sandwiches <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, made something that is inadvertently more clever than they thought it was going to be more deep. We're finding more meaning in it than perhaps they were intending. Interesting. See, this is actually a flip. You're, you're interested in my view being the first time I've watched it. And I'm actually very interested in your take after having watched it many times and all the things it's kind of like, well, now I'm actually thinking I need to watch this more to see if I can see a lot of the, what you've seen, what you have seen in it. Ooh, um, interesting. Which is, yeah, also interesting. It makes me want to kind of explore it a little bit more and uh, do a little bit more of a, a deep dive into the uh, the making and the research uh, uh, that others have already done on the film <laughs> a little bit. And Ruby, you, you, your description of the movie was almost exactly my first thought of the movie when I saw it for the first time, because Sarah got me into the monkeys right after Dave. Yes, <laughs> right after Davy Jones died. Yeah, wow. so, 2012. so she just went like hardcore back into her fandom for it. Like she went and bought a bunch of the albums. So I listened to the albums and I watched the show and probably like it was just getting binged watched on repeat for like six months. And then she goes, Oh, I finally found a copy of head. Let's watch that. Mm-hmm. And it, it exactly how you said, like, I love that opening scene at the bridge and you know, Mickey runs through the tape and, and ruins the, the ribbon cutting ceremony. And I started laughing. I was like, of course Mickey would run through and ruin it. He's such a goof. And then you get through the whole movie and you get to the end and I'm like, that scene is not the same anymore. Mm-hmm. It is not a funny scene anymore. They need to run. And that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Well, and it's funny back, back in the day, you know, before the internet and it was easy to do searching and everything like that and pick out the history and, you know, easily search the lyrics of Circle Sky. Um, my friends all thought that it was a suicide attempt at the beginning, that mm. the boys were, were running off the bridge and then Mickey's the only one who ended up jumping. But the end, they're all running away from these things that happened in the movie that they're trying to escape for their own personal individual reasons. And then, all of them jump into the water. Yeah. And isn't that interesting? Like, what what actually happens that's a little bit different in each of their heads? And I think this movie, you know, uh, Sarah had said, you know, that the trope is that uh, Peter's the dummy. And he says it in this movie. No, I'm the dummy. I'm the dummy. But he's the one who's enlightened. He's not the dummy. It's just easy to see him as the dummy. He's the sensitive one. He's mm-hmm. the, uh, I don't know, the, the peace and love, the big hippie. He's, he's all those things. To, it's, it's so interesting, this movie. Yeah. And they don't, they don't follow him on that. They, it takes them a while to come around. I mean, Davey wants to punch his way out of the, out of the situations. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. Why, Davey? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and then he also, you know, and he fights Sonny Liston, just again, in one of those... Fights? So cool. yeah. Gets his ass kicked. Yeah, that's the more accurate way of putting it. Yeah, a lot of... Um, well, that just reminded me of a lot of... Uh, you can call them cameos, but some of the people weren't even famous yet. 
No, right? Russell Terry Gar Terry right there Gar. early Terry on. Terry Gar. Yeah. He doesn't hasn't aged. <laughs> no. Not a bit. And Tony Tony Basil is the lady dancer yep. in Daddy's song. We all know Tony Basil. She's Mickey is so fine. Come on. Right. Mm-hmm. That I absolutely want to know what happened to the person who edited that scene because they must have lost their mind. This oh, the scene yeah. where he's dancing with the girl and it, it cuts between he's he's doing the song and dance twice once where he's wearing white and everything's black and then right. he's wearing black and everything's white and it just keeps yeah. cut and this is traditional hand cut. Mm-hmm. I've done digital editing <laughs> and it's annoying as hell when you have to like lace things together and together. This thing is firing half seconds back and forth between the two dances and it looks beautiful mm-hmm. and it's amazing and it's done so well and it never looks choppy and i'm like that person had to have lost their mind <laughs> whoever yeah, they were they, oh. the editor and the film the uh sorry dp because they are all over it's not a still shot right right they're following them they're tracking them and and i'm not sure that uh davy was really good at choreography he was either really super good at choreography doing it the same every single time or really super bad about it depending on who you talk to or hear from <laughs> in, in the series uh, in, in their history. But yeah, they were right on. I mean, they were right with each other. The DP was right there with him and the editor was right there with him. And I don't know how they did it either, but that's the one that, you know, if, if I had done a bunch of drugs, that's the one that would put me right back. <laughs> Just the flipping from yellow and black and white and uh, that choreography, those outfits. Oh, yeah, and I wonder, because Tony Basil, actually, she was the one who choreographed the scene, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm kind of tempted to go look now and see what she would have to say about how Davy <laughs> did. <you know>. Yes, <laughs> know. because she's a good choreographer yes. and worked with a lot of people. I would she's be very interested today. in that, too. She's amazing. So, yeah, Tony Basil, um, who obviously wasn't famous yet, um, there was Annette. Bonicello, yes, yep, yep. Um, who she was the one crying and telling Davy, "No, Davy, don't fight." <laughs> um, oh, and um, I don't know. oh, Frank Zappa, yeah, Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa, yeah. and a with the cow. cow, yeah, yep. And then the people, the parents would know. You got your Victor Mature, Victor he's mature. the one with the dandruff in his hair, and the boxer that was I've already forgotten, Sunny Liston. Yep, Sunny Liston, and then. Um, Ray Nitschke was private number one uh, earlier on, which I didn't do enough research to know who he was, but he must have been someone quite big. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, and near the end, because when I was I was reading the IMDb trivia uh, on this, and it said this was the last film appearance of Tor Johnson. Yes, he does. Yes. I yeah, saw him. I yes. Said, and I said, when when does he show up? I don't remember. Right but then the you've end. seen this movie like yeah. fifty times. I know. And then right <laughs> very brief. Right at the end, I'm like, oh, there he is. He's yeah. once you yeah. know he's coming, he's you, hard to you, miss. You see, <laughs> you, you see him once from the front, very briefly, and I think you see him once from the back, even briefer. Yeah, but yeah. Good old Tor Davey, Johnson. Davy takes him out, and I'm like, that's Tor Johnson's yeah. last screen credit. Davy Jones kicking. Him. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tor. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was definitely an experience. And yeah, the more you guys hearing you guys talk about it, the more I kind of want to more I kind of want to watch it again. I almost need to feel like it's a film that you need to watch with people who yeah. have already watched it with sure. other people and it needs to be sort of like spread. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a a good virus or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it got me. Yeah. <laughs>
because it, it yeah because it begs uh, i think it's a movie that you could honestly go okay wait and need to pause and have discussions over break this scene down <laughs> yeah exactly what's going on here what does this mean yes. yeah 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 i i didn't even i mean i had grown up with the monkeys in um listening to their music and the tv show mm-hmm. um both my parents had um watched them the show as kids my dad who was born in 57 so he was you know, right there like, prime yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and my mom watched it um later in like the in the 70s um because uh, she wasn't in the country when when mm-hmm. the show aired um but she saw it later um so i grew up hearing their music all the time listening on um new york's oldie station w um cbs fm 101.1 <laughs> which mickey was very briefly a uh, uh, DJ on. Nice. Cool. Yep. Oh, we um, should also mention how you multiple times have met Mickey oh, Dolans. Yeah. <laughs> You've hugged Mickey Dolans. I've Dolan. hugged Mickey Dolans. Are, think- are you now a Mickey girl? Yes, I am. Oh, she, she's <laughs> been a Mickey girl for quite some... If there's anybody she would leave me for, oh. it's Mickey Dolans. He's 40 years older than me. You'd still do it. That doesn't mean anything. It I was, doesn't. I was watching the film and he's got the his, his kind of the, the permed, the poofy permed yeah. look. And I'm thinking, you know, I should just grow my hair out and start a Mickey Dolan's uh, <laughs> cosplay thing. You know, and Matt, Matt, your hair doesn't look that different when it gets all poofed this up. This explains why you like me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that was actually Mickey's natural hair because in the early um, oh, his, see, in the was, early they part of the show, they it. made him straighten it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, but um, so but yeah, so I grew up with the show, uh, but I never, I didn't see Head until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. I had heard about it, and because I would also. I also used to watch VH1's Behind the Music. Oh yeah, and yeah. E True Hollywood Story, and uh, so I watched you know Monkeys on those shows, and they were talking about this crazy movie they made called Head, and I'm like, what is that? I really want to see it, um, but I didn't get to see it until I was in my twenties. Yeah, I probably came to the Monkeys through music first because my mom sure. had a lot of big box of forty fives that we kids would play on our Fisher Price uh, phonograph. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, the, the, I had the, the monkey's music before I ever had the TV show. But, uh, yeah, the but the uh, TV show, I don't know. Would, would you say you kind of have to watch the TV show before you get to, to watch Head? Do you need that? Uh, is it a progression? Because like I said, because it like was, I was for me. Because like I was saying, by the time you get to like that final episode that aired, that feels more like it's going in the direction of yeah. Head Versus something like "Here Comes the Monkeys" or any yeah. almost any of the or, or "Monkeys Paul" or any of the other ones that we watched, which were more like what I would remember, which was just the zany antics, the, and- the zany antics, the silly story that goes from A to B with a few jumps to E and G. You know, <laughs> um, I wonder because we watched it with a, a friend of ours a few years ago, mm. and she, I don't think she had ever seen any of the show. No, and she loved the movie. Interesting. Yeah, I think it kind of all depends. I think everybody's journey is a little bit different. For me, it was watching pretty much every episode of the show, and then later, after learning their history, watching the movie and getting completely sucked into it. Because the show, I was like, yeah, it's fine, it's funny, it's this, it's that. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't really pulled into it. The movie dragged me down a rabbit hole I haven't come out of yet. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I've I've never seen it with anybody else. I've only ever watched Head alone. Oh, really? Yeah, I, we've, we've made people watch it. And that friend, uh, she's, um, 
She's had her own bowl of sandwiches over the years, and when when it got to the to the bathroom scene, when when uh, Davy walks in and opens the mirror and the eye is in there, she had a lot to say about that. She goes, "This is one hundred percent an LSD message because if you're tripping acid, you don't look in the mirror." And I go, "Why is that?" She goes, "You see things you don't expect," and I was like, "You've just completely changed this scene for me." Yes. Yeah. Well, and I um I don't look in mirrors really if i can help it and i definitely <laughs> don't love to open the the uh, medicine cabinet medi- thank you for medicine ca- yes um, <laughs> and it's because of this movie it's not, <laughs> it's not because of sandwiches it's not be- but it's this movie like that's actually true it could be a portal to another dimension you know never never mind that you know if you open your refrigerator zool might be in there too <laughs> i don't have a problem with my fridge i have a problem with mirrors mirrors are witchcraft and things might be behind them like big huge eyeballs i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna forward along a really great uh a potential april fool's joke to uh to hater there for you <laughs> nope. No, please don't. <laughs> you you now know one of my uh, secret not interested. Nope, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. I want I want to stay your friend, Ruby. I won't. I, won't I do appreciate it. that. Do do send it to him anyway, and then he'll tell me about it in a very intellectual way, and I'll go ha ha ha, and that'll be super funny. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll start the I'll start the email with don't do this, but <laughs> <laughs> perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. And did you all watch through the credits going back to the movie? Did you see the very, very, very end credits right before the the door closes? I know I, they. I, I know I, they credit Frodus <laughs> or something. There's a, yeah, the the so all of the credits, which you know, this is an old movie, so the credits um, aren't much at the beginning and are not complete at the end necessarily. But the very, very last screen of credits, um, they flipped. All the words. Oh, oh I missed you that. You have yeah. to read them. Yeah, you have to oh, read yes. them backwards. It's right before the door closes. And thank goodness for DVD. I paused it and I took a screen print and I'll send it to you so that if you, you know, have extra things that you put in there. But the hero is Terry Chambers. Nothing is Mike Burns. Mother is Esther Shepard. Girlfriend is Christine Hel- Helstowski. Sorry, guys. The mm. sex fiend is John Hoff. The lover secretary is Linda Weaver. And then Sisdorf, which if you read it forward, you're right, uh, is Jim Holly. So thank you for the reference because I would not have gotten Frodus. Like, <laughs> what does Sisdorf mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think we mentioned it before when we were talking about the episode, but Frodus was there, the monkey's code word for weed. Weed. Sandwiches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sandwiches. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. All kind of coming together now. Yep, and in the and they even reference it too briefly in the monkey's paw episode when they're trying to teach Mickey to talk again, and they have the chalkboard. I was gonna say, wasn't that written on the chalkboard? They have Rodis written and Hari Krishna and legalize (laughs) (laughs) things like that. And they're just going through a rapid fire. You'll catch it or you won't. (laughs) Now I'll have to rewatch that episode. Thank you. It's interesting that you go both uh, head and even going back into the series that, you know, they were created by this studio, but then they seemed like they would go as hard as they could against the studio and yes. try to sneak in as much as they could 
that were kind of anti-establishment uh, messages or uh, pro-drug messages and things like that into the even to the, into the series, where you would think that you would think that wouldn't be the case under the circumstances. So it's almost like they immediately rebelled. Yeah, uh, as yeah. soon as they like they got the part, and then they started the revolution. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because that's Pretty who much. they were. They were very right. much part of the whole counterculture, and it was. I think it was super interesting to see. I like the. Uh, I'm trying to remember which episode it was, but they showed the um, audition clips. Oh yeah. Of uh, Davy Jones and Nesmith, Michael Nesmith, and also those were very interesting. Um, Michael Nesmith is. Um, Michael Nesmith. I mean, you know, yeah. it's pretty much his character was himself. Himself, that came in off the street, kind of thing. Um, Davy didn't look like he really knew why he was there. <laughs> he seemed like really nervous and like he didn't really wasn't really sure what he was even being, you know, auditioned for or whatever. It was very interesting that those two little clips alone. I think it was in the Here Come the Monkeys one. Yeah, I think so. And then yeah. the other, the other two, their auditions are out there too. You can, are they? Yeah. And I believe, oh, because when they were auditioning for the monkeys, when they were looking for the four guys for the group, they ran some ad, um, like, looking for four crazy boys. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember the exact wording. Um, and I think Mike was the only one who got the job from that ad. Right. I think, yeah, yeah. I read that, too. Uh, Davey, they kind of recruited. Mm -hmm. um, he, I think he had recorded some stuff before that. Uh, he had been on Broadway um, in a production of Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see why. Yeah. Um, and Mickey um, was already an actor. Um, he had had uh, uh, both his parents were actors. His dad, uh, George Dolans, had played uh, the Count of um, Monte Cristo. Mm hmm. Um, and, and he was circus boy. Yeah, so it was, he was circus boy. <laughs> Don't was, forget circus boy. <laughs> yeah, so when he, Mickey was like 10, um, he was on this show called Circus Boy. I think well, he was just a little boy who lived at the circus or something. I never actually seen the show. No, okay. I haven't either. It sounds a mess. <laughs> I just know, like, he kind of, they had bleached his hair blonde, and he kind of got this Dennis the Menace look to him. Nice. Yeah, it's always fun going back and watching a, you know, the movie had any film from like the, the, the late to the mid sixties and everything. And you start seeing some of the act, some actors that would end up becoming incredibly famous. in these really bit parts, there was someone that showed up in one of the episodes and I'm like, who is that? Who is that? I know that guy. And I had to finally look it up and it was Mike Farrell from, uh, from MASH. Mash. Oh, wow. Blew me away. He was like a, a, a cop or a, a G man or something like that. You know, and he's, he's very straight laced. His hair is slicked back. He's in a suit. That's like, but his voice and there's something about his face. I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I finally had to go look it up and it's like, oh, yes, that was him. <laughs> oh, I don't remember where, but again, I know this from IMDb in head. Apparently uh, Dennis Hopper shows up really briefly. I, I think he's behind Jack Nicholson. Okay. Is what I read. He's just a little cameo, just standing behind Jack Nicholson. Any other thoughts or anything that anyone else wanted to talk about? I mean, it's one of those things where I feel like I could keep going, and yet I feel like I've said everything I need yes. to say at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I would I would recommend the movie to lots of people, but at the same time, you know, with an asterisk, just mm -hmm. let it wash yeah. over you. It's not 
going to have a story necessarily. And honestly, either you'll like it or you're not. But um, there's good music. There's lots of cameos. It's, right. it's a fun movie, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the asterisk. I want you to watch this. You may not like it. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. That's, it's totally okay. Right. All right. So yes, yeah, so I think that's exactly what I would I would say about it. Is I I would say watch it, but you might not like it. Um, but you know there there might be you might see a lot more into it than than a lot of than than I did on first watch. Um, yeah. And yeah, it might be one that I'll go it, after discussing it. It might be one that I do go back and and rewatch just. Um, just to try to pull stuff out, and definitely maybe I almost need something like a VH1, you know, behind the. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to see something about the making of, you know, I want to see, you know, oh, stories. Yeah. And there's also uh, a made-for-TV movie. What? Yes, for uh, I believe it was done by VH1. And don't 19- watch it. No, don't watch it. Don't watch it. It was like from 99 or 2000 and it was called Daydream Believers. Don't watch and- it. <laughs> oh, so it's crap. Yes. I've seen a That's handful of scenes. Sarah's seen a handful of scenes and it's just, it's, it's just poorly acted. Mm. It was on Prime at some point. It might still be if you're really curious. <laughs> well, it. I'm always about punishing myself just a little bit. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll maybe. see if I can find it. And if not, um, you know, I, I have friends who are better at that than me, but yeah, I have to find it. I'm I'm such a completist and I'm such a nerd and it it's not it's not a bad thing, but um oh apparently there's speaking of things that you can see, apparently there's a gentleman in England who um buys a theater for a night and puts head out almost every year. Wow. Because he he talks about it in his class and you can't find it. Like it's really, really hard to find it. And so he has like a little mini thon for the movie head and apparently you don't just have to be in his class if you know when it's happening so uh, let's all go to England and see head on the big screen what a mess I right love absolutely yeah. yeah yeah I'm all yeah, for it because the DVD might be technically out of print and oh I'm sure it is and this, the, this one this one that I have is from 1994 and it was a Rhino reissue and then it wasn't available again until the television series reissue last year also from Rhino and it's a part of the um, cleaned up TV shows and then head and I had to agonize much like Christopher Page I had to agonize like do I want the whole series <laughs> just so that I can have head again <laughs> oh what's the funds look like yeah I didn't end up buying it yeah I, I had that with um because the it came out on blu-ray a while ago but it was part of a box set with other um um I think it was other um any other movies? Yeah, it was from the oh, interesting production company Raybert, which was oh. it was a box set with like five easy pieces, and oh. um, and that was like sixty bucks, and I was like, do I really want to spend this? <laughs> and you did, I did, <laughs> but um, but then a year or two ago, um, they uh re-released the whole show and the movie on Blu-ray, and I got that box set. And I yep, sold that the was other the one. one. I was agonizing over. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so it's on Blu-ray, but it's only available through box sets. And I don't think you can just buy it as a, a single disc. Or someone's selling it on their own. Right. right. So yeah, eBay or, or like I did, I mean, I was able to track it down through the library. Yeah. yeah. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, I've always talked about the, I've talked about it multiple times here on the show. Uh, 
Ohio's got a great system. I'm guessing other states have the same, some of the same systems. Is your library can often get uh, materials from any other library within the state, yeah. which is what I do uh, constantly. Uh, I, I get stuff and it's delivered right to your local library, and you just go and pick it up, and it can be anywhere from the state. So, people, if you're looking for hard to find things, it may be out there if you if and it may be you don't have to spend $150 on eBay or something for some of the stuff if it's just something you want to see and experience. Uh, yeah, go to the library and uh, start making some uh, some inquiries. Yep. Cause... And that's um I work at a library. I'm a librarian. I work in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And we do we do interlibrary loan all the time. Yeah. A lot of them constantly. And one of my job duties is actually getting these, you know, patron inquiries or suggestions and determining, oh, is this something we can purchase now for the collection? Um, Or is this something, it's out of print, it's obscure? Um, Is this something we need to interlibrary loan. Yeah. It may not be the uh, the newest edition that was available or something mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get something that's older. I've even I've even pulled in I've found VHSs of some films <laughs> that aren't nice. they are not available on DVD, but you know, I I, I keep a uh, that reel to reels out I, there. <laughs> I keep a VCR kind of like on nice. the desk just sitting there it collects dust typically, but I've got one just in case there's something that I really want to watch. Now, do you rewind before you return? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had to call up people um, sometimes because the movie they want is only on VHS, and there are still some libraries out there that they still have VHS tapes, and I have to call them and ask, do you have a VCR? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what that That, is? That's kind. (laughs) (laughs) It is very kind of you. Yes. But yeah, I have done so. But yeah, I definitely go to the the, the local libraries and uh, just start asking around if you really want to try to find this. You don't want to drop down, you know, big money on the entire set. Uh, there there are ways. Yeah, and talk to your librarian too, because uh, in Ohio, I learned about the interlibrary loan, and mm-hmm. and Ohio's is particularly good. And you can get things from the colleges, too. But yes. here in Minnesota, sometimes I do have to go to the librarian and just say, like, look, I want this thing. It doesn't seem that weird. And our mm. library system is super good. But, like, I can only look at Hennepin and Ramsey counties. Can you help me look at other things? Can we interlibrary loan this? Say those words. Your librarians are awesome, and they're there to help you. Yep, absolutely. And I've, heard, I've heard of Hennepin County, um, their library. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> From what I hear, that it's a very good system. It is very good, but there's things. There's just yep. things that you can't find. And the one, for whatever reason, the one in Ohio is so easy to use. Like, you'd hardly even know that it isn't from your library. It's from some college way somewhere else in a small town. Yes. You'd hardly know. But here it's a little more challenging. Yes. But... I, I do feel spoiled sometimes with mm-hmm. uh, that I can find the most obscure title, and I'll find it through Search Ohio, and it's in my hands within a couple weeks. Uh, yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. Yep. And I also discovered that I'm living in the wrong corner of the state, because most yeah. of my stuff comes from Akron and Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as they say, Cleveland rocks. Yeah, that's what they say. (laughs) And Akron is a big college town, so you are on the wrong side of the state. But, you know, you don't get snow, so you're cool. That's true. That's true. I I will take not being buried uh, by the weather uh, any day. (laughs) All right. Well, then I guess that is probably going to do it for our monkeys and head discussion. Um, Sarah, thanks for coming in and joining us. Thank you for having me back. 
absolutely anytime. And Ruby, thank you so much for uh, calling in and spending some time out of your day. Thanks for having me. It was always fun to talk about the monkeys and uh, Sarah. Yeah. I'm seeing I'm seeing the Mike and Mickey show on Thursday, so I'll be oh, sure to tell fun. I'll be sure to tell Mickey how much you love him oh, and you. how you're waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, absolutely. We'll have a have a fun time. I hope it's a good show. Yeah. I'm sure they'll. Thanks for having me, guys. Here's here's to the monkeys, and uh, we're all gonna miss we're all gonna miss them as they individually go, but. Yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I encourage everyone to uh, you know check out all the monkey stuff. Check out Head. Uh, go to SaintEuphoria.com. There's going to be a link in the show notes and find out everything you need to know about the films of Christopher R. Mim. And uh, but yeah, like Ruby says, Amazon Prime is a great place to really, if you want to just give it a shot without actually having to spend any money, do that and then go and buy the movies. Yeah, because because uh, the the movies are only going to be they're only like ten bucks for a DVD, so yeah, they're very reasonable. They're very reasonable. If you if you if you come across something you like, support a local you know support an independent filmmaker yeah. and buy the product. Yeah, because he's only going to get a few a few pennies <laughs> for watching it on Prime. But uh, yeah. and there's there's many more things on the DVD. Not to sound like a mm-hmm. you know an advertisement somehow, but he's always running a special to you know help people get more movies and it the way it is um the specials are really worth the bronto track and there's kind of a uh, commentary not necessarily a um he really does make it worth it so yeah yeah you're you're breaking up a little bit there but i'll just repeat what i what i was Thank what you would you had just said and that's really what's great about him in, in his movies is it's not just a bare bones here's the movie he really throws in a lot of extra features. You'll get the, just like you would get in a, in a big release, you get, you know, deleted scenes, you get alternate scenes, you get commentaries, uh, you get obviously, you know, trailers for the other films. Uh, there's a different, multiple language tracks. A lot of times, uh, some of his films, I don't know if all of his films, but some of his films have Esperanto. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> If you're interested, and otherwise, <laughs> watch it with the um, the subtitles on the the for hard of hearing, because those it's almost as amazing as watching the movie. He he puts in commentary that's almost like a riff track. So yes. yeah, right. endless yeah. endless fun for like ten bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're definitely worth the worth the worth the purchase. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, again, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank everybody for tuning in, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. And I guess we're going to talk about the uh, Monster of Phantom Lake. Yeah. So I'm kind of excited. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tune in in a couple weeks. Until then, bye, everybody. Bye.